0: what I'm doing. Uh, So if you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. Uh, It's right after James, and it's just before 2 Peter. uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to the church uh, in in a general way, but in a particular area in uh, northern and western Turkey, uh, as we know it today. And he is writing to, as he's identified in chapter 1 verse one, uh, to the area uh, to, to, to the church scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, of course, those areas are in that particular uh, western and northern portion of Turkey. He's writing to a church that's marginalized and within their, their communities, within culture. Uh, they feel themselves as aliens, as it were. That's the word that uh, Peter actually uses. Uh, they feel themselves scattered from the larger church and somehow, somewhat isolated. And he's writing to them this letter. He's said a lot already, but we're going to review two verses, verses 9 and 10. So if you would, listen to God's holy, inerrant, meaning without error, and infallible word, meaning trustworthy worthy to be believed and trusted, then hear God's word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy But now you have received mercy. Now let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us in understanding and receiving your word, and we ask that it would be to the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hear a great deal about privilege uh, in this current day and age, and about perceived privileges, and about obtained privileges, inherent privileges privileges we hear about that people have, whether that's wealth, whether that's a position of power, whether that's a position of influence. And usually when we hear about that subject, it usually concerns the idea of elevation of a particular people group over and above and against another. There's a desire for shared power, equal advancement, all of which I think all of us to a degree would affirm. Well, there was a person this last week I've heard of in the news who denied that she had any power. She said, well, no, I don't stand in a position of power or I don't stand in a place of position of privilege because I don't have power. And yet the decisions that she makes uh, are reflect a significant power at choosing the curriculum for 150 schools and influencing uh, the idea and the instruction of 150,000 children. Uh, To me, that that equals a position of power. That equals a position of privilege. And privilege is something that we discuss a great deal currently. If privilege is connected to an inherent possession of power, think about that. If, if, If privilege is connected with an inherent possession of power, then the church has little or no privilege because the church is not, on its surface, very powerful. I think that we can all agree on that, even if we are part of a massive church the The reality is the church has very little power in our society, very little inherent power within ourselves. However, a Christians at least at least which I, I think in this day and age is the least and most uh, or the least powerful group or class in the world are Christians. there are more Christians being persecuted today than there have ever been in the history of the world. And there are far more people who are, who are suffering for their Christian faith in our world, whether that's North Korea uh, 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 or, or China, communist China or, or in Muslim countries or in other places throughout the world who are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. There are more people suffering for their faith in Christ than who are suffering for any other cause or any other thing in this present day. Privilege is not tied to personal power. I want you to understand that, despite what we say in our current political climate, and I don't support one over any other. Uh, rather, first and foremost, I'm a member of the Kingdom of God. I'm a child of the, of, of, of the King. Uh, I belong to Him. My identity, first and foremost, is not is neither in a public or, or, or is not in a political party, but rather is tied up in. Uh, my 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 relationship to god and to his son but privilege is not tied to personal power our our privileges christians our privileges as, as a church are tied to the power of god and he has saved and elevated us to a new status in jesus christ his son that's where we hold privilege as christian persons men and women boys and girls Our privileges are bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to explain where I get this from and where we get this discussion from. It's found in verses 9 and 10. We're at a crossroads in Peter's letter. We're at a crossroads because in chapter 1, verses 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, he's mostly describing a theological understanding of our place As Christians, the work of God in the lives of believers, he's explaining he's building a theological foundation upon which he's going to uh, build even more uh, uh, concerning directions for believers, how we are to live in this world. And so he is he's building a theological foundation that will culminate at verse 11 or verse 10. And then he'll begin from that point forward to urge, to encourage, to instruct he will teach us how Christians are obligated to Jesus Christ, our covenant head, and how to mirror his life and how to endure suffering for him, how to relate to one another as believers. Uh, he'll provide practical and pastoral counsel, moral commands, ethical exhortations dealing with a host of subjects, suffering and service and submission to government, co-workers and bosses, husbands and wives, exhorting elders to care for the flock, warnings as to how to resist the devil. Well, all of it rests on the privilege that that he relates in the privileges that he relates in these first few verses. There's a new identity and the conferring of immense privileges that we receive in Jesus Christ, and all for the purpose of magnifying the name of God. So if in our present context we remember that last week, chapter two, verses. Uh, four through eight, we learned that we are being, we are living stones being built up into a a spiritual household. And so if that's the case, we're being built up. Christ is uh, working on our behalf, building us up, providing the basis of our newfound privileges, making for himself a people. And so if he is doing that work, and he is doing that work, he's building us up. He's building us in, as living stones into a spiritual house. Uh, he is doing uh, so much for us that there are two aspects that Peter relates for us in these verses, verses 9 and 10, uh, that we glean through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two aspects of what we glean from Christ as we are being built up in him. And this is what he had said in verse 4. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He is building us up. And he is building us up, at least in our present text, in two different ways, both in dignity and privilege, as well as in providing purpose and service. And we'll get to purpose and service in in a bit. But first, dignity and privilege. Do you see it in verse 9? Dignity and privilege. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have dignity and privilege. Christine and I were sharing the gospel with a man yesterday, and we were having a conversation. He expressed to us that he comes home from work and goes to his house and uh, wants to get out wants to do things wants to do new things exciting things to become involved in his community around him and 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 to do things that he finds entertaining and helpful but he said I come home and I I sit in my in my house and I watch television and then I berate myself for never having gotten out never doing the things that I wished that I could have done and he he expressed to us basically that he lacked a sense of purpose that he lacked an understanding of the privileges that God has given him in life, uh, in existence, and in purpose to which God has called every human being if we would only come, if we would only believed. Well, we went on to describe for this man that there is indeed purpose. Uh, There is purpose to be found in Jesus Christ. He immediately threw up a roadblock and said, well, I'm, I'm concerned about others and whether or not uh, God is going to reject unbelieving people and send them to hell. And I responded immediately and I, I said, you know, I can't answer for other people, but what I can answer for is myself. And, and the most important thing that confronts every human being is, in discovering our hidden purpose before God, and in discovering our privileges in Christ if we would only believe. But the answer, the only question to ask is whether or not I am in fact a Christian, whether or not I have been saved by grace, and whether or not I'm going to heaven, uh, or uh, subject, being subject to God's just punishment against sin and rejection and rebellion of his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and ours. Um, then being subject to the eternal uh, uh, judgment of hell. You and I must answer those questions. You You and I must examine whether or not we are believers, whether or not we have believed in Christ unto everlasting salvation, or whether or not we have rejected the Messiah which God has provided for us and are thus subject to his judgment and eternal damnation. I want to encourage you this morning to look at the privileges that God outlines for all of his people and offers to all who would believe. There are tremendous blessings, tremendous privileges that we have in Christ. Dignity in privilege. If you look at them in verse 9, you are a chosen race. Think about that. We hear a lot about races and racial differences and racial inequalities. We hear an awful lot about it. But he says to the church, those who are believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Incredible privileges that we have if we have believed in Christ today. Have you ever looked with jealousy? at the religious practices and cultures of of Judaism. We look at Judaism, we look at Jewish adherents, and there is a tremendous uh, fullness to their ethnic identity, to their religious identity. Uh, They have so much that is bound up in and surrounds their religious identity together. Uh, There are so many traditions, there are so many celebrations, uh, feast days, gatherings of family, gatherings within the tabernacle, and there may be something that that we we look at longingly at the tapestry uh, of their religious practices. But if we look at if we examine their claims, they trace their ethnic and religious history back all the way to the patriarchs. They would own Abraham as their father. In Romans nine, though, it says this: They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Paul says um, uh, that amongst those adherents to Judaism, that those who are ethnic Jews have those blessings. They have seen uh, the word of God. They have seen the tabernacle. They have observed the worship. They have received the law of God. But the message that Peter wants us to understand this morning is that New Testament Gentile, non-Jewish Christians stand undeniably in the legacy of that culture and practice. And, And we have the only, by virtue of our faith in God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, we have the only right to claim Abraham as our father in the Bible. And in the faith. Because we stand in the faith of Abraham even though we do not stand in the ethnicity of him, it is not necessary. It says so in the following passage in Romans 9, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. He's talking about the fact that many amongst those who are adherents of Judaism are not believers. They've rejected Christ. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, Peter is saying it's not about ethnicity. It's about faith. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who believes in him, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the ethnic distinctions of those who would, uh, from any people group or from any nation or color or creed who would say, we in fact have some particular possession of God And of his grace, because we have been given this or that or this or that privilege, Uh, all of it is meaningless. Rather, we must look to the privileges that we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, the Lord is the lifter of my head. And Peter shows that the Lord has done this for every believer by bestowing privileges through our new life in Jesus Christ. And, And he does this by quoting numerous Old Testament passages. That have Old Testament connections. He alludes to Psalm 118, verse 22; Isaiah 8:14; Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6; Isaiah 43:20 20 and 21; Hosea 1 and 2. There were Hosea's children, and Hosea was to name the children he received from Gomer as Lo Ruhamah and Lo Ami, meaning "You are not my people, and you will not; re- you have not received mercy." And here in this passage in verses nine and ten we see those very things, those very ideas represented here. The scriptures are for the new Jewish believers who may be thinking that they've been left they have left behind the legacy of, of their culture and their heritage. Maybe they've even left behind their families, their relationships with others, because they want to know and to be known by God through Jesus Christ. They've accepted God's Messiah, the one which He has provided the Lord Jesus. It's also for Gentile believers who feel themselves who feel ourselves on the other side of the Old Testament that the Old Testament has really nothing to do with me. And I'm without purpose and identity and status. I'm only newly come into faith in Christ. I, I really lack all of a sense of who I am and, and yet Peter is seeking to deal with that by unfolding for us these privileges that we have received. And these are privileges outlined for believing Jews in the Old Testament. And they are. Peter takes them and he says they are yours if you're in Christ Jesus today. He relates them through the promises and the commands and the covenantal identity of the Old Testament Israel believers. And, and he juxtaposes them over the faith of new believers who have looked upon the face of Christ and believed savingly in him. These are new Gentile believers to whom he's writing. They're wild olive branches according to Romans chapter 11. And they've been grafted into the living, into the living vine. And because they've been grafted in, they are being built up. They're laid precisely upon the foundation in relationship to the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. And they are being made into a spiritual house. All of the promises made to Old Testament saints, men and women, boys and girls who believed, whose parents believed, all of these promises, these covenant blessings are promised in the Messiah and the promise of the Messiah. And it's for all of those of us who have believed in the Messiah to this day and until he comes again. All that God had said to Old this in Israel about his relationship to them as, as he has promised to be their deliverer, their shepherd, their Lord. And Peter is saying, those promises are yours. They are yes and amen in God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been written for you. You wonder about the relevance of the Old Testament. Well, there it is. Peter says any New Testament believer God was speaking to in the Old Testament in the promises that He made to His believing people. Even though you may not be able to trace your identity ethnically to Abraham, Moses, and Elijah, through Jesus Christ, He who can trace His And it is through him that you receive the promises of God. Therefore, Abraham, if you have faith, is your father. You are directly connected to him because he believed in Jesus Christ. And you too have believed in Jesus Christ. You and I are identified with the covenant names of old. We've been engrafted into the living vine. and We are members of the covenant of grace. We need assurance of our status, don't we? Especially when we strike out into the world and say, I'm going to believe in Christ. I'm going to pursue God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And sometimes that means leaving behind our families. Sometimes that means leaving behind our loved ones. Sometimes that means forsaking the world, forsaking other people who have led us in the wrong direction. And that's a hard thing to do. We need assurance that this is the right way. We need assurance of our status and identity when we forsake our status and identity in other ways. Well, come and hear the passage this morning. You belong to God. If you have struck out on the path of following the Lord Jesus Christ and you have believed in him, you want to you want to be saved from your sins and to have your sins forgiven, to be welcomed into the welcoming open arms of God the Father. And you are willing to do so through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who was killed and placed upon the cross, who died and gave up his life. He was not killed. He surrendered his life for us. He was put to death, and yet he gave up his spirit, willingly went to the cross, dying in our place so that we would be received and forgiven by God our Father, saved from our sins. If you have faith in Christ this morning, you're part of the covenant of grace and you belong here. You belong within the covenant community of God's people. You're part of the community of God. You're part of the church. You're an adopted member of the family of God, a distinct people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We need assurances of that. If we believe, then what God has stated concerning his people is promises of grace, that they're mine, that I'm too, within the framework of his covenant. That what he has said to them, he has said to me. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will sprinkle clean water on them and they will be clean. I will shepherd my people. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We need to know that what he has said to his people of old, he is saying to you and to me. Peter has this wonderful hymn of ascending joyful exclamation of adjectival privilege, describing the blessings of God given to an undeserving people through Christ's work. If you look at verses seven and eight, which we reviewed last week, we saw that there is that Jesus is of precious value, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But then he says in verse 9, first word, but, but you are a chosen race. You see what he's saying is that the world refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. The world rejects God. And that's that was my answer to, to this man who has shared the gospel with yesterday. He was saying, God is unjust in rejecting unbelieving people and not giving them grace. To which my response was, God God would not be just if in fact He saved everyone without requiring faith and trust in His provision of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no justice in suspending an earned sentence of condemnation. There is no justice at all when someone has murdered my loved one and I'm looking to the justice system to hold him or her accountable. And then the justice system says, on the basis of nothing, we're simply going to forgive this sentence and let this prisoner go free. For me, as an aggrieved member of my family, I would say, no, I've experienced loss. I'm offended. I've. I've been offended in the sense that I've lost something precious to me, someone precious to me. I, des- I, I deserve justice. I cry out for justice. That evildoing is punished. Well, God does punish evildoers. God will punish evildoers. God will punish sin. We know that what Romans chapter 6 says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. If we have sinned against God, we deserve death. We've earned death. We've not earned grace. Grace cannot be earned. Otherwise, it's not grace. It's it's merit. We cannot affirm merit. We affirm grace. God says in his word that for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you desire salvation, if you desire to be saved from your sins, if you desire forgiveness, you can't bring any merit to God and say, look, I've done all these things. Therefore, I merit your mercy. No. No, you do not. Nor do I. Because we've sinned against God and God has a right to require of us perfection. Absolute holiness. And yet all of us have sinned in Adam, our representative head and we actually sin against God in thought, and word, and deed. None of us, not one of us is innocent. But thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided the means of our salvation. And that is the meritorious righteousness of Jesus Christ. That if we believe in him, our sins are imputed to him where he made payment on the cross and we are forgiven of our sins and his righteousness is is imputed to us, such that we are received by God as completely and wholly righteous in Christ Jesus. Such that God's law can demand no more, such that God's justice, the requirements of holiness can require no more except for faith in Jesus Christ, because he has satisfied all that we are required to do and to be. So it's like the, the Apostle Peter is saying this. The response of unbelievers to Christ is to be offended and to stumble. But this is not the case with you. If you've believed, you've been saved. You've believed by the grace of God. And because you've believed, all of these miraculous identities are yours. All of these privileges are yours. Not as a possibility, but as an unshakable certainty. So what are these privileges? Let's talk about them briefly. What are our miraculous identities? They're found in verse 9. You're a chosen nation, a chosen race. Chosen. It's a privilege that we could never have deserved or demanded. The theme of the chosen and precious cornerstone of verses 4 and 6 is revisited. What what God said of Christ that He is chosen and He is a, a precious cornerstone is now said of believers. That you and I are chosen, that you and I are privileged, that you and I are precious in God's sight. We too are chosen because of our union with him. We share in his status and privileges. We are a royal priesthood. We carry the duty and the privilege of representing God to the world and to our children, to our loved ones. And we have access to God on behalf of both ourselves and of the whole world. We are a body of priests in service to God. Have you thought about that? We believe, we affirm, we are a body of priests in service to God our King. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We reject the man-made notion of the necessity of a class of priests beyond the priesthood of all believers. We are in need of no other intercession than that of Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. We reject the retention of wicked men seeking to hold power and authority over the people of God who falsely claim the ability to absolve and forgive sin Who wave a hand and say your sins are forgiven. They cannot. They have no power to do so. Wicked men who lay ungodly sentences of repentance upon the consciences of men and women. And who speak peace, peace when there is no peace. Who themselves are in need of the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus. Which comes only through the blood of Christ. You are a holy priesthood. A royal priesthood. In other words, we have direct access to the king, to our God, immediate relationship with God such that wherever we are, no matter where we are, uh, that, that in whatever circumstances we may find ourselves, when we boldly approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ in his merit, we are received, we are heard. In other words, we always have the ear of our God and king through Jesus. We are a holy nation in contrast to the wickedness and the unbelief of our own nation, regardless of the diversity of the body of Christ. We have one purpose. We have one faith, one baptism, one identity. We are holy because God has set us apart for his own purpose and his glory. And we sin against God when we make distinctions amongst ourselves based upon race or other earthly, worldly privileges. We are all created in the image of God. We are the same before God. We have equal footing. We stand equally before God. <clears throat> we are a holy nation. We are lastly a people for God's own possession. You and I, we, we belong to God. We are his particularly prized possession. We are his property. He has created us. We are his creation. God's possession of us is a very, very special sense. He has chosen us for his very own. We belong to him and we are wholly dependent upon him for all of our well-being. He possesses us and we belong to him and his spirit lives within us. And if you're a child of God, if you've experienced that love, that, that, that possession of God, you don't want to be free of it because it is in him that we find life and Power and strength to live, to move, to have our being. Don't we need to hear these things repeatedly? Don't we need this reminder? Don't we need to be reminded in the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting upon our patient God to see whether He will provide the deepest longings of our hearts or in aching anxieties and fears, wonderment in whether or not God is for or against me, misreading and misthinking, misjudging God by our circumstances, believing, well, since I've I've experienced adverse circumstances, because I've prayed and I haven't yet seen God answer my prayer, surely God must be against me. Well, no, that cannot be true. If you are a child of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. Of course he's not against you. Of course he is your God. Of course you are, you are his people. The apple of his eye. We need the certainty of these verses. We need the certainty of these promises. Assurance of God's favor flow from his promises to us. Jesus has fulfilled the ancient promises and in fulfilling them he has given us a new meaning in which their original meaning is not set aside but caught up into something more comprehensive and far-reaching than was foreseen by any before he ever came. Your identity is in your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You worry about who you are and what your purpose in living is? Well, here it is. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Every benefit won by Christ Is for you and belongs to you in him. It belongs to every believer, including you, including me, regardless of our racial origin or status or the measure of our own sins. This newfound status, its source is and depends only upon the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it's received by faith. The second thing we see in this passage is purpose and service. Maybe you're wondering, well, who am I and what am I here for? What about my existence? I've been through so much. I've lived for all sorts of things. I've even lived for the pursuit of money. I've pursued all kinds of stuff. I've I've managed to gather all sorts of resources. Well, the Apostle Peter says this in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, now immediately when we hear that, we realize, well, now the purpose for which I have been privileged in this sense is going to be revealed to me. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This removes our natural propensity to pride. If, 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 if we in our humanity read... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We immediately swell up with pride and say, of course, look at me. But Peter says, no, it's not so that the world can look at you. It's so that the world will look at God through you. It's so that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. Don't we have a natural propensity to want others to look at ourselves, to recognize our goodness? And we tend to build our purpose into that. If only the world can see, if only my loved ones, my family members and the people around me can see I'm inherently good and I have value in myself. No, that's the world's position. We want others to judge us in a favorable light. We want to project our goodness in a recognizable way to the observing community around us. Isn't that stealing though from God's glory? Aren't all things that are good from from God? We are all thieves who have stolen of the glory of God when we elevate ourselves and give our uh, and give prominence to ourselves without giving God the glory for all that he has done, and Peter helps us. He steals us against spiritual pride and arrogance with a quick reminder of our prior status and our present privileges this is what he says in verse 10 for once you were not a people but now you are the people of God for you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy we are what we are and we stand in this marvelous grace because of God's mercy there was a time when we dwelt in darkness and we had no purpose No privileged status in the world in which we live, but now we do because God has made us his people and he has given mercy to us when we had not yet received mercy before. The purpose in all of this is so that we would proclaim the excellence of God. I'm mystified over the frequency with which Christians are caught up in the latest fads, the latest fads of purpose, some new gimmick extrapolated from an obscure biblical text. Well, we need to pray the prayer of Jabez. Well, what we need is an enlargement of our tents. What we need is Rick Warren and the purpose-driven life. or, Or Beth Moore's God told me last night. And we don't need any of that, really. What you need, what I need, is to recognize there was a point in time in which I dwelt in darkness and I had nothing. I was not a child of God. I was subject to His wrath and curse. But God in His mercy saved my soul. God in his mercy made me his. And now today I stand before you as someone who is someone now because of my identity and union in Jesus Christ and someone who has received mercy not because of any merit that I have done but because of God's grace. The truth is we are not the excellent ones. He is. He is worthy to be praised. Let let God's people magnify his name. When people come to you and celebrate Thousand days, give glory to God. When people come to you and say, what a wonderful father you are, give glory to God. When people come to you and say, you have a marvelous home, it's so beautiful, you have such gifts, give glory to God. When people tell you, oh, you're a wonderful preacher, well, you've taught this Sunday school class so well, give glory to God. Well, the Lord is gracious, isn't he? God is merciful, isn't he? Look at what the Lord has done in my life. Look at me. Once I was not. I was persona non grata. Once long ago, I, I was in the darkness, tenebras without light. But now, light has come into my life. And I I dwell in light. I have come to the light of the world. And I have been saved by him. We've been saved for the purpose that we might magnify the name of God and glorify him and not ourselves. Not what, my law, not what my hands have done can fill thy law's demands. We were not a people. We had not received mercy. Once there was only darkness, now only light. Once we were alone. But now we are being built into a spiritual house, interconnected with one another, joining and rejoicing, receiving and being a part of one another, being pledged in our love for one another. Once we had not received mercy, but now we are forgiven. In your everyday conversations, dear friends, in the carrying out of your duties, husband, wife, daughter, son, child, parent, friend, churchgoer, worker, consumer, customer, give God the glory. Live gratefully. Walk and live in the light of that dignity of purpose. God has saved you. God has poured his grace out upon you. God is building you up as a living stone upon the living cornerstone so that you might proclaim the excellence of your God. That's your purpose. Do we really need to live do we really need to search for something more than that? Do we really need to be caught up in the latest fads? Or can we not simply declare my purpose as a Christian is to declare the excellence of God? That God is a wonderful savior. That God is an excellent God in the sense that he has had mercy upon my soul. That he has a glorious kingdom and he has brought me into it. He has forgiven us of our sins. He chose us when we were enemies when we were filthy and filled with sins, he made his peculiar possession from out of the unworthy. He confers honor and priestly privilege upon the profane. He's brought servants of Satan, of sin and of death, and brought us into the enjoyment of the royal liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. We readily assume the identities of Nike and Ford and Chevy and Mercedes and Coach and and Red Sox fans and Celtics fans and Bruins fans, and not against all of them, but Gucci and Victoria's Secret and all the rest of it, or we see our our value, we declare our value by virtue of our net worth or our ethnic identity or our nationality or whatever it may be. But if you identify as a Christian, if you believed in Jesus Christ, he has saved you and made his own particular and prized possession, if you enjoy the privileges that Christ has freely given his people, if you've been bought with a price by Christ's own blood, Don't return to those worldly distinctions. Hold one thing up above all others. I belong to my faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will proclaim the excellence of my God to the end of my days. That is your purpose, dear friend. You're part of a new community now. Don't return to those old distinctions. Let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We only finally understand our value as we conclude, our purpose, our net worth, our privilege when we look into the heart of God's work in our salvation, when we behold the face of God in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you have made us your own. You have gloriously created us for your purpose. We belong to you. We are not our own. Oh, Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have not yet believed in Christ, who have come to search, come to think about, come uh, to, to explore. Well, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would convict and convince them. Yes, they have sinned against God. You're subject to your wrath, for you are a holy God and you require holiness of us. Absolute holiness, not mere human goodness, but clear and explicit holiness, freedom, absence from sin. Oh, Lord, we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. All fallen short of what you have called us to do and to be. Lord, I pray that you would convince them of the the worth of Jesus Christ, the value of a Messiah who lived and died, who now lives again for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the promise that if we believe, if we we have sinned, we need only confess our sins and you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We thank you, O God, for these promises. Pray that you would help us, therefore, to believe, to take up that purpose, to glorify God in all that we say and do, to speak of the excellence of our God, to proclaim that God is glorious, that God is good, that all that he does is glorious. O Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, that you would encourage your people, that you would remind us that we are his, that we are being built up into that House, That living house, that stronghold of faith, having been built upon the foundation, cornerstone of the living stone, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, remind us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of a particular and prized possession by our God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's stand together and sing our last hymn, <clears throat> God of, in 546, 546, God of the Prophets, 546, we'll stand together.
1: Oh,